Hello and welcome back to Silver Age Silver Screen, the podcast where we watch, discuss, and review sci-fi, cult, superhero, and other stereotypically geeky works. I'm your co-host, Casey Jarms. And I'm your other co-host, Riley Thorpe. I have recently received my second COVID virus vaccination. So to all of you listening, please get your vaccinations. It helps prevent the spread of the disease and it'll help save a lot of lives. I mean, you're not wrong, but what the fuck does that have to do with this shitty movie? It doesn't at all. And this time we got off topic before we even got on topic. We're talking about Batman Forever. It's the third, well... So this movie's supposed to be a sequel to Michael Keaton Batman, I guess? Yeah, you see, Tim Burton was originally assigned to make a third installment. However, there were a lot of angry parents who took their kids to see Batman Returns in 1992, and there was a lot of violence, a lot of fucked up gory imagery, Penguin biting off a guy's nose, talking about his flipper trick with Catwoman, just the pussy I was looking for, that kind of thing. And there was a lot of people like, you can't, you can't sell McDonald's toys off that. So Warner Brothers publicly apologized to McDonald's and said, we're going to make the next installment a lot more lighthearted. So Tim Burton was in a couple meetings regarding the third installment to his franchise, and they were all like, don't you want to do something different than this? Don't you want to kind of do a smaller scale film? And after like a half an hour, Tim Burton was like, you guys don't want me to make a third installment, do you? And they're all like, no, no, we, 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 we want you to, but you know, I feel like you'd be better suited for something else. And Tim Burton was like, yeah, no, you guys don't want me to make this. And so they got Joel Schumacher instead. And I mean, making a more lighthearted Batman movie, that's not necessarily bad. Like, lots of people, and it's a big problem in the Batman fandom, grittiness does not equal darkness, does not equal depth. First off, darkness does not equal depth. Like, look at Batman the Animated Series. That's some of the definitive Batman media, and that's... Made for kids. It's way more lighthearted than the Tim Burton films. And also, I would say it's better written. Mm -hmm. So, you know, making it more lighthearted. It could have still been good. It wasn't. (laughs) Not at all. There were a lot of similarities between what Tim Burton wanted to achieve with this movie and what Joel Schumacher actually executed. Two-Face, Riddler were going to be the villains. Originally, Billy D. Williams, who played Harvey Dent in the first Batman film in 1989, he was going to reprise his role as Two-Face, and Billy D. Williams was absolutely down for that. There were rumors that Robin Williams was going to portray the Riddler in this film. Oh, that would have been so good. Yeah, especially with his performances in Insomnia and Goodwill Hunting. There were also rumors that Tim Burton was interested in casting the voice of Chucky from Child's Play, Brad Dourif, as Scarecrow in this film, had he stayed on to the project. And Brad Dourif has since said he has never was never in official talks with that. It was just Tim Burton voiced interest in working with him and him being Scarecrow, which I think that would have been great. Brad Dourif as Scarecrow. But instead, the studio basically pushed Tim Burton out, which in turn pushed actor Michael Keaton out because Michael Keaton wanted a more dark, gritty, serious film along the lines of what Tim Burton 
Keaton would have created. Basically, Michael Keaton wanted Batman Year One for this film. He wanted like a prequel origin story. Like you want to see where Batman originated from along the lines of Batman Year One or Batman Begins, what Christopher Nolan later created. But because Tim Burton left and was subsequently resorted to the role of executive producer in name only, Michael Keaton left and... They were replaced by director Joel Schumacher from The Lost Boys, Falling Down, Time to Kill, St. Elmo's Fire, all that. And the role of Batman went to actor Val Kilmer. The role of Two-Face went to Tommy Lee Jones. The role of the Riddler went to Jim Carrey. And we had got a couple newcomers in addition to that, like uh, Nicole Kidman as a love interest, Dr. Chase, and Chris O'Donnell as Robin. And yet, somehow, this movie pretty much failed. I mean... <laughs> well, hold on. This movie, it's not good, but it didn't fail. It when... made Warner Brothers a ton of money. So they hammered down on all the things that they did in this movie, and they made Batman and Robin. When I say it failed, I mean it sucked ass. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, changing the director, that doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna be bad. I'm sure this movie will continue the same style, the same gothic, dark, weird style of Tim Burton. Absolutely. In a completely different direction, though, because this movie is a half-assed cartoon at best. God, God, and like any hope that this would be similar to the last two Batman movies, it is immediately flushed down the toilet. Let's talk about just the first five seconds of this movie. We got very 90s title sequence, and then Batman's going off to fight evil, and we get close-ups of his dick and his ass, because <laughs> I don't know why, but we get close-ups of them. And then Alfred asks him, Sir, would you like a sandwich? No, I'll get drive through Oh shit, this movie's gonna be bad, isn't it? Yeah, what do you think Batman got? Because it doesn't show us what he got. What, what do you think? Do you think he got a Big Mac with a large fry and a Coke? Well, he got something from McDonald's, because that line was used in McDonald's commercials. <laughs> yeah, of course it was. I often find, like, a lot of the reasons why people shit on Batman and Robin, a lot of those things carry over into Batman Forever, which, right out the gate, Batman Forever is a stupid fucking name. Oh my god, yes, it's a stupid fucking name! Like, Forever, that's your stereotypical bullshit fourth movie subtitle. Also, Batman and Robin isn't the one that adds Robin. Those movies have the wrong names. Also, what the fuck was he returning for? He didn't go anywhere. That said, I do think it's a stupid title. That said, it's a lot better than what Tim Burton would have originally titled this film. That being, Batman Continues. The fuck? I take everything I just said back. Joel Schumacher is the superior director. Tim Burton's a fucking moron. I mean, I get it kind of thematically gets back to this idea of those old Republic serials that Batman originally appeared in. Batman and Superman and Captain America originally appeared in. Like those old school serial television shows that 
featured superheroes fighting crime and stuff like that, you know, from the 40s and 50s. There were a lot of those like The Legend of Zorro or Zorro Returns, Zorro Continues. I don't think Zorro Continues is one of them, but it brings back that kind of style to it. But that said, Batman Forever is a stupid title, but <laughs> it's a lot better than Batman Continues. I mean, not much better. No, but it's better. So this film, it opens up with Batman fighting against Two-Face. That is very clearly not Billy D. Williams. That is Tommy Lee Jones. Like, I mean, if you're gonna recast someone, at least try and keep them the same race, because otherwise it's very confusing. Yeah, I mean, it was even confusing in Iron Man 2 when they recast Terrence Howard as Don Cheadle. Even that was, like, really out of place. But still, honestly, I think of this film as separate from the Tim Burton movies because A, the casting is completely different. The style, everything's completely different. It's technically a continuation of it, but in name only. I mean, you have two returning actors. You have Michael Goff as Alfred and Pat Hingle as Gordon, but like neither of them are really very major to the film. And I mean, there's a line that mentions Catwoman and a few nods to the first movie. But other than that, no, it's basically its own thing. And honestly, I do think, though it's very out of place, Tommy Lee Jones' recasting of Harvey Dent added to the fact that we don't see Harvey Dent's origin as Two-Face, even though it's very out of place. I do honestly think that under the right circumstances, Two-Face played by Tommy Lee Jones and the Riddler played by Jim Carrey, I honestly think that is fantastic casting. Under the right circumstances, that's great. Yeah, it could be good. Like, the first, like, 30 seconds with Two-Face on screen where it's just focused on one side of his face and he's, like, being creepy, like, do you like gambling to the guy he's about to kill? Like, oh, maybe he'll be creepy and deep. I mean, Tommy Lee Jones, he's a great actor. And then the camera turns to show the worst Two-Face. Oh my god, he looks ugly in this movie. It's a Halloween mask. He's wearing a Halloween mask. A purple Halloween mask. So fake and so cheesy. And then as soon as we see his face, Tommy Lee Jones drops any hints of subtlety or depth. And he just spends the rest of the movie doing a bad Joker impression. Which is made worse by the fact that for most of the film, he's paired with Jim Carrey, who's doing a slightly better Joker impression. Exactly. Like, that's my thing. It occurred to me watching this movie that Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones, who, by the way, hated each other while in the entirety of filming this movie. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones told Jim Carrey, quote, I cannot sanction your buffoonery. <laughs> Though I think they were well cast in those roles, I think they were completely miswritten and misdirected. The Riddler and Two-Face are both crazy. Like, clinically insane yes and as we all know all clinically insane people are the joker what is this dark morally torn used to be a good person thing with two-face what is this insane arrogance proof he's smarter with riddler no they're both the joker they're exactly. both clowns right because all crazy people are clowns Right, they both play the Joker in this movie, when that is not at all Two-Face and Riddler. There's a reason why they're different characters. It's because they're completely different characters. 
But this movie just completely gets them wrong. After Batman says he's going to get drive through, he drives into the neon drenched Gotham City, which immediately you can tell all the gothic style of Tim Burton's original films were completely thrown out the door. I mean, to be fair, this circusy, bizarre, neon-covered city of the Schumacher films, I don't dislike it. It no. keeps this film from feeling like a continuation, but, I mean, it's not awful. It's at least visually interesting when it isn't obvious CG. So, Two-Face has broken into the Gotham City Bank. The second national bank. Second which national bank. Got, like... There's a Batman parody. It's called Holy Musical Batman. It's fantastic. I recommend watching it. So in that musical, everyone makes fun of Two-Face for wanting to rob the second national bank. Like, what you gonna do, Two-Face? Rob the second national bank of all their $2 bills? Haha. <laughs> oh, God, I forgot that's an actual plot point that he robs the second national <laughs> bank of Gotham on the second anniversary of him fighting Batman for the first time. <laughs> oh, God. Jesus Christ. So the point is, he takes a security guard hostage and flips a coin to save his life, but then throws him into the safe with the intention of it setting a trap for Batman. Then Batman arrives, and it was at this point that it, it occurred to me that this film is shot... Like, the cinematography is a lot like the shows you see on the CW that were made in, like, the 90s or early 2000s. It just looks like one of those. I'm not a cinematographer. I can't explain cinematography, but there is something off in how this movie is shot. Just how it's cut together, how scenes are structured. It just feels really campy and plastic. I don't know how to explain how, but it does. Before Batman saves the security guard being hostageized by Two-Face, he slides down to meet Commissioner Gordon and Dr. Chase. Now, Dr. Chase is played by Nicole Kidman, and she's the love interest in this movie. Now, from what I recall, none of the love interests in this series have ever really been super effective or super convincing. No. They really haven't. Vicky Vale or Catwoman, they haven't been that great. This movie is surprisingly the worst. Yeah, like Batman and Robin, his love interest shows up for two scenes, and I would say that's better than this. <laughs> yeah. They just stand next to each other and exchange forced witty banter. A man's being murdered, and you're hitting on the hot psychologist. <laughs> and not to pin it all on Batman. Let's talk about Dr. Chase Meriden's motivation in this movie. Like, okay, so first we have a journalist who's investigating Batman, but then she becomes a stupid damsel in distress. Then we have this supervillain who's like a femme fatale dark counterpart to Batman. Okay, okay. Hey, what if there was a psychologist who was just really, really fucking thirsty? Like, what if we just introduce a character who wants to fuck Batman? And that is, that, that's all she does. Like, she just moves to Gotham so she can fuck Batman and then comes to the crime scene where she's like, hey, Batman, I want to fuck you. Yeah. She's so fucking horny in every scene in this movie. Yeah, it's really bad. Nicole Kidman is a great actor, but God, this, this, this romance was really bad, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, so Batman flies up into the bank, tries rescuing the guy, but 
Just as he walks into the safe, the safe door closes and Two-Face flies it out over to the city attached to a hook that's attached to a helicopter. Strong fucking helicopter, I'd say. And then the safe starts filling with boiling acid, the same acid that allegedly scarred Two-Face's face. Yeah. Also, A, it's just liquid. It's not boiling. And B... Wanna know how we know it's boiling acid? Because the annoying security guard Batman's locked in the safe with, as soon as the acid starts pulling out, he just shouts, It's boiling acid! Oh no! Batman saves the security guard, and just before the helicopter crashes into the Empire State Building, because that's located in Gotham, I guess. Well, okay, I mean, it's fine to have the Empire State Building. I mean, yeah, it's famous, but its shape isn't too distinct. I mean, it's not like later in the movie we find out Gotham has the goddamn Statue of Liberty. Uh, Did I say Empire State Building? That's what I meant. I meant to say Statue of Liberty. Sorry. Yeah, so it crashes into the Statue of Liberty, and just before it does, Two-Face and Batman escape, and... That's the opening of this movie. It's nothing like the original two. In Wayne Tech offices, renowned scientist Edward Nigma, Who also wants to fuck Batman. The movie's just a lot of people who want to fuck Batman. Right. Well, he wants to fuck Bruce Wayne. Oh, by the way, speaking of characters just being the Joker, that's the Joker's thing. But yeah, we meet a scientist working for Batman, Edward Nigma, who is obsessed with Bruce Wayne. And he's inventing, how would I even describe this? It beams TV into your brain. And he says, Bruce Wayne, hey, approve this right now. Uh, okay, send me the schematics. No, approve it right now without you knowing whether it's not safe. Well, uh, I, I can't do that. Oh no, now you have betrayed me and I shall dedicate my life to revenge. Riddler's motives are stupid. Right, and it's 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 made especially more confusing when he has, like, Riddler-themed bobbleheads and those fortune teller machines in his apartment and in his office. Like, is the Riddler, like, a pre-established character in this universe and he's just taking on that identity? Well, Warner Brothers is going to sue him for copyright infringement then. Yeah. I want to ask you, Casey, what do you think of Val Kilmer being recast in this role? Eh... Uh... He's very, very fine. Yeah. Like, there's not a lot that I really like or dislike. He's fine. He's passable. I will say I like this movie's version of Batman more than Michael Keaton's, but that's just because of the writing of the movie. Like, it's not because of Val Kilmer. I do think the dude is a very talented actor. That said, I don't believe his take on Batman necessarily Like, as Batman, I I don't think he's very convincing, and I think that's a combination of directing and writing, but I do believe him as Bruce Wayne in this movie, though limited as Bruce Wayne's portrayal is in this movie. Like, that's one of the things that I felt like the first two got very well, was the difference between Bruce Wayne and Batman. They clearly established when he is Batman and when he is Bruce Wayne. In this movie, I just feel like it doesn't really get that blending of the two characters down quite well. I do think Val Kilmer, I believe him as like a 30-something, handsome, charming, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist Bruce Wayne, but I don't believe him as a crime-fighting, vigilante Batman. 
like I said, his performance is fine. I'm going to push back against that a lot because, A, Batman actually has screen time in this one as compared to the Tim Burton films. But, B, I feel they do do a lot more introspection with Batman and the contrast between him and Bruce Wayne. Like, I, I, I don't hate Val Kilmer's Batman. And honestly, I would argue it's a deeper take on Batman than the, I'm going to murder people because my parents are dead, that he was when he was played by Michael Keaton. I don't know. Little fun fact behind the screen. Joel Schumacher, who actually, as of the recording of this podcast on June 23rd, he actually died a year ago yesterday. And may he rest in peace. Um, He genuinely seemed like a really good guy, but... He did say that Val Kilmer is one of the rudest people he's ever worked with. Oh, well, fuck Val Kilmer then. That's why he was recast as George Clooney in the next installment. Poor Edward Nigma, fired because of something that was absolutely his fault for being unreasonable. Late night, he's testing out his brain machine and his boss comes in and he murders his boss after discovering that his machine gives him the power to absorb people's brains and be smarter, I guess? Yeah, it's like a 3D television machine, but meanwhile, as you're watching that, it drains your IQ and absorbs it into whoever's wearing the other end of the machine. Yeah, that's dumb. Also, one more thing before we continue. That scene where Bruce Wayne visits Wayne Tech and meets Edward Nigma. did you know that one of the assistants in that scene was played by John Favreau? Neat. Yeah, I saw his name in the credits and I was like, what the fuck? John Favreau's in this movie? For those of you who don't know, John Favreau directed the first two Iron Man films. He plays Happy in the MCU. Directed Elf, starred in Chef and Swingers. Yeah, minor role for him. Good for him. Yeah, it was like before he was like a bigger name. He was just in the scene as one of the assistants. Had no lines whatsoever, just was walking around. I was like, this John Favreau. But anyway, yeah, Riddler, he murders his boss late at night. And I want to bitch about a missed opportunity. Like he's hanging his boss from a ledge and then he lets him go. And what is the supervillain quip when the guy who just fired you, you drop him to your death? Are you thinking... I'm going to have to let you go. Because apparently this film missed that. And what he says is, I'm sorry, you're terminated. What the fuck? That's not good. Oh, also, Nigma leaves like a threatening clue Riddler message for Bruce Wayne. And Bruce decides to take it to Chase Meridan. Because she's a psychologist. And they start dating. And he takes her to a circus which is a thing that A, exists in this decade, and B, is a thing that billionaires do. I mean, hey, billionaires are eccentric, right? Or at least they're supposed to be. So yeah, Batman goes to the circus with his girlfriend, and he sees the Flying Graysons, a bunch of acrobats, including the youngest of them, Dick, who is very clearly in his 20s. At least in his 20s. They call him a college student at one point. Like, no, Dick Grayson, age 12. He's a fully grown man, which, I mean, I guess it's fine. Child actors kind of suck. But also, you miss the Batman being a loving father figure thing. So, whatever. 
Also, did you know that originally cast in Batman Returns, the role of Robin originally went to Marlon Wayans? As in Wayans Brothers Marlon Wayans? Yeah. A, people split them apart, and B, no! Not him. The guy from Scary Movie, Haunted House, White Chicks. Yeah, get the White Chicks guy in Batman. Why not? That, sure. During the circus, Two-Face attacks. Bruce Wayne, without the cover of his mask, tries defeating Two-Face's goons. Yeah, he just, like, jumps into the pit and starts being people up. Like, huh, I think Bruce Wayne might be Batman. Oh, and we should note what Two-Face's plan is. I'm gonna blow up this circus unless Batman tells me his name. I hope Batman's here. Would be really awkward if he isn't. And, like, Bruce actually shouts his name and no one hears it. The Flying Graysons try to stop Two-Face, but in doing so, they get themselves killed, leaving only Dick Grayson, played by Chris O'Donnell. Then, Commissioner Gordon just sends Dick Grayson to live with Bruce Wayne, of all people. Yeah, but why? Like, if he was a small child, I would get it. I mean, it's weird that you're sending him with the reclusive billionaire, but I mean, he needs someone to take care of him. Why are you sending this adult man to live with this other adult man? So, Robin wants to kill Two-Face, and instead of Batman sitting him down saying, hey, we don't kill people, whatever, whatever, Bruce Wayne just goes, hey, work on my motorcycle, and you then you can keep it. Also, Alfred is gonna give you a cheeseburger, and you're gonna do what you're gonna do. How about that? So anyway, Batman goes off and he fights Two-Face in a scene that could have been cut from the movie and it would not have affected the plot in any way. And I'd like to talk about this scene because it gives us a good segue into the fact that they redesigned the Batmobile and I don't like it. No. I'm okay with the neon. It's a bit weird, but whatever. Just the middle fin that sticks out like a mohawk. I don't like it. Yeah. Also, there's a scene where the Batmobile just drives up a wall vertically. Like, it shoots a grappling hook at the wall, and then it activates its rockets and flies through the air, lands on the wall, and drives straight up. I don't think that's how physics work. Then again, in Batman Returns, there was a moment where, in order to fit through a very tiny alleyway, the Batmobile literally split in half. Who knows what the fuck the Batmobile can do at this point. Let's go on a tangent because I want to point out one of the weirdest pieces of media ever. Yeah. So this film's soundtrack, it featured Kiss from a Rose by Seal, (laughs) which is a really good song as long as you don't look into the fact that what the fuck are its lyrics? I don't know what's going on. But anyway, yeah, Kiss from a Rose from Seal. Have you ever seen the music video to that song? I have not, no. Well, the music video is Seal singing in front of the bat signal while just cutting to random scenes from this movie with no rhyme or reason, like, There is a great tower alone in the sea. And then what is happening is the Batmobile driving up a wall. Like, none of the scenes go with the song at all. It's the worst music video in the best possible way. Then again, that's pretty much what I think of Seal in general. Batman escapes being attacked by Two-Face, who shoots him with a rocket launcher, and Batman jukes him out. It cuts to Riddler coming up with his supervillain secret identity, and then cuts to Two-Face being enticed by both 
of his henchwomen's meals that they've made for them. Also, side note, you know the two henchwomen in that scene? Yeah, Drew Barrymore and Debbie Mazur. Yeah. Both very good actresses who are Two Faces fan service minions. Right. I didn't even realize it was Drew Barrymore again until the end credits. So, and then Riddler just shows up at his hiding space at his HQ out of nowhere for no reason whatsoever because Riddler's really smart, I guess. And they become friends immediately. So can we talk about Riddler's plan for most of this movie? Yeah. Two-Face wants Batman dead because Batman failed to save him from being burned by acid. Side note, there's a flashback to Two-Face being saved by acid. And in it, Batman is just sitting in the courtroom in full costume. I don't think that would be allowed. But yeah, Two-Face wants revenge on Batman. So Riddler comes to him and says... Hey, I'll help you kill Batman if you steal a bunch of shit from me and give me money so I can make my invention, this 3D TV mind control stuff, and become super smart, and then that'll allow me to find out Batman's identity so you can kill Batman. And the two just work together throughout the movie, and neither is really good. I mean, at least when Catwoman and Penguin teamed up in Batman Returns, that was kind of believable because there was a long back and forth. But no, Two-Face and Riddler, they just become best friends out of nowhere in this movie because they just, they say, hey, enemy of my enemy is my friend. Okay, yeah, I believe you. Yeah, so anyway, Dick Grayson accidentally stumbles into the Batcave, which is very easy to get into. Yeah. And he steals the Batmobile and goes on a joyride. And then Batman shows up to save him. And Dick Grayson yells at him for letting his parents die. And makes Batman take him under his wing so he can kill Two-Face. Although, Batman is clear. And this is by far the best thing in this movie. Batman tries to discourage Dick from being a murderer. He tells him, I did that, I got my revenge, and it just made me feel empty, and I kept killing people, and it never fixed the hole, so I don't kill people anymore. It's getting Batman back on track, it's some good drama, I like it, it's the best part of this movie. Mm -hmm. None of the relationships in this movie really make any sense. Like, I guess that's really the closest we come to it, where Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson are becoming like a father-son type relationship. But then again, I feel like it would have been so much better had, because I don't know if you know this, but there was reportedly about 50 minutes worth of content cut from this movie by the studio. Which has since garnered the hashtag release the Schumacher cut. Oh, God. For a 50 minute plus longer version of this movie that was A, much longer, and B, much darker than what we originally got in this film. There were multiple scenes cut from this movie that would have made it a lot more darker and arguably would have made it make a lot more sense because A, there was a scene where Batman would fight a giant bat. Wait, what? Hold on, you said it would have made it make more sense. That sounds dumb. Yes, but it would have included more of the idea of Batman struggling with his identity as Batman. Which, again, that happens in this movie as well. At one point, he hangs up the cape and cowl just out of nowhere. And we're left with the idea that, oh, it's because Dick wants to kill people. Or because of that relationship we don't understand or don't believe in. But the other scene was... 
at one point, Bruce Wayne was going to talk to Alfred and explain how it was Bru- a young Bruce Wayne that really wanted to go to the theater that night his parents were killed. His parents didn't want to go, but he was like, no, no, let's go, let's go. So Bruce Wayne is feeling guilty with the idea that he believes he was inadvertently got his parents killed that night. And now he feels responsible for what happened to young Robin's family and parents. So it's just all coming back. And that would have made Batman's whole character arc, both of those, I think, both those deleted scenes would have made Batman's character arc make so much more sense. But it was cut for time and we're left with this jumbled mess of a supposed character arc that's really non-existent. Can we talk about this? So throughout the movie, Batman is both getting therapy from Chase and also dating her, which is big ethics violation, first off. Yeah. But his whole arc in this movie is discovering he has repressed memories and she helps him uncover them. And it's so dumb what they end up being. Like at the end of the movie, it's finally revealed his repressed memories that... When he was a kid, he fell into a well and saw a bunch of bats. Like, oh, was that repressed? Because that's a standard thing he knows in most Batman continuities. Like, you made a big deal about what's he repressing, and it's nothing. It would have made so much more sense that he would be repressing the thought of, oh, maybe I did inadvert maybe the reason why we were in that theater at all is my fault yeah whatever oh also while he's dating chase he falls in love with her Uh, okay and he decides to stop being batman so he can be with her okay i i don't okay yeah none of the relationships make any sense yeah there's a scene where he goes to her to as batman to like make her choose between batman and bruce wayne And she chooses Bruce Wayne. And then Batman turns around. And he gives the biggest fucking smile. It's so cartoonishly over the top, that smile. Like, normally Batman only smiles like that when he's murdering people. (laughs) Yeah. Or when he's giving thumbs up to Gordon in the Batplane. Or whenever Robin's making a holy rusted metal Batman joke. Oh god, Bat. So anyway, Riddler with his... TV, but it makes you stupid because haha, deep commentary. He gets really rich and he throws a party and Batman goes to it and he gets in Riddler's mind reading machine. So now Riddler knows he's Batman. You moron. But also, Two-Face shows up to the party and almost kills Batman and Dick saves him and... uh, Okay, that's nice. I mean, I like the idea of Edward Nigma becoming like a political, socio-economical rival to Batman. Like, founding his own company and becoming a billionaire like him. But it's in one scene before this. Like, it's so brushed over. It just doesn't make any sense. Here's the thing with Riddler in this movie. He's just Jim Carrey. He's doing his normal Jim Carrey. Ooh, that's funny and wacky. Man, he is a good actor. Also, he's a hardcore anti-vaxxer, which sucks. But yeah, he's a good, wacky actor. But, I mean, that's fine, but he's the Riddler. Like, the Riddler, he's this smart. He's smart enough to go toe-to-toe with Batman. He leaves clues to his crimes. He's insanely arrogant. He's a really good villain. And we get none of that. Like, he leaves a few clues at his crime scenes, and what they amount to is Batman puts them together to get the word mystery. Wait, 
Mr. E, Mr. Edward, Edward Nigma, Enigma. The guy who looks like Riddler is actually Riddler. This doesn't really impact the plot at all. The Riddler's riddles are so easy. Like, they're all brushed over in, like, a scene each. It's not engaging. It's not entertaining. It's just a minor inconvenience. And they don't hit to anything. The riddle is Batman figuring out that the guy who we know is, like, he just wears a domino mask is Edward Nigma. And that doesn't even impact it, because after the scene that Batman figures out that he's Riddler, he never shows up as Edward Nigma again. So, what what was the point of all that bullshit? Exactly. The Riddler and Two-Face, now that they know Batman is Bruce Wayne, they show up to Batman's house by dressing as trick-or-treaters, which apparently come to the front door of Wayne Manor, which is weird because A, it's out of town, and B, there's a big fence, and then, like, a hundred-yard walk to the front door, as seen in other... Whatever. Trick-or-treaters come to Batman's house. Psych! It's Riddler and Two-Face, and they kidnap Chase! And now Batman's gotta rescue him. And Dick Grayson, now donning the mantle of Robin, is coming along. Let's talk about Robin's costume, because it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the bat nipples. Well, yes, yes, there's cod pieces and nipples, which, why, why, and it brings attention. There's, like, just constant shots of dick and nipples, dick and nipples, and another shot of the ass, like, right before the climax. Like, why? But... I like Robin's costume in this movie. Like, they give him his standard comic costume when he's like an acrobat. And then, in the climax, he gets a leather one, kind of like Batman's. Except it's got the colors of Robin, but muted. It's not bad. I prefer the Nightwing costume they gave him in Batman and Robin, but, you know, it's not bad in this one. Yeah, no. But it is a little on the nose when he was like, So, what am I going to call myself? The Boy Wonder? Nightwing? What else? What, 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 what should I be called? And he, like, gives a big speech about how his brother called him Robin because he, like, flew in like a Robin to save him, which is a bit forced. Yeah, a little bit. We've reached the climax. Batman and Robin fly to the Riddler and Two-Face's murder tower. Wait, hold on. Did they just build it on top of the Statue of Liberty, which Two-Face destroyed? Like, this giant laser tower that is stealing the thoughts of all the people in Gotham. I mean, we're led to believe that Riddler is a billionaire by this point, so maybe he bought the island? I don't know. Wait, if he's a billionaire, why is his plan something as pointlessly stupid as stealing credit card info? Like, that's his plan. Like, after he kills Batman, he's going to read people's minds so he knows their credit card info. Batman and Robin go to Riddler's Tower, and they get separated. Robin fights Two-Face, spares him, then Two-Face knocks him out, and Batman is forced to choose between Robin and Chase, and he chooses both of them, and he saves them, and I always like when they do that in superhero stuff. Yeah, yeah Batman saved both the girl and the sidekick, woohoo, and then he murders Two-Face. Yeah, even though Robin just out of nowhere is like, yeah, I'm I'm not going to kill you, Two-Face. I'm just going to take you to jail because that's where you belong. Why do they keep doing this in Batman? Like, Batman doesn't kill. Like, I mean, we get Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck's Batman who are remorseless mass murderers. Sure, 
But then they get stuff like this and the Dark Knight trilogy, where Batman knows murder is wrong. He frequently says, I don't kill people. And then every climax features him killing someone. <laughs> like he throws a bunch of coins at Two-Face and it makes Two-Face fall to his death. That's murder, Batman. Why is it that there's, God, how many, are there nine live-action Batman movies at this point? Uh, yeah. If you're including Batman v Superman. Yeah, there are nine live-action Batman movies, and there is one. There is only a single live-action Batman movie where Batman doesn't commit murder. And that is Batman and Robin, which I guess is the most comic-accurate Batman movie by that standard. So, yeah, Batman kills Two-Face inadvertently, dropping him to his death, saves Robin and Chase... And he destroys the machine that Nigma was using to absorb all the people's intelligence. And it makes him go crazy. Then cut to Arkham Asylum, which I don't believe appeared in either of the first two Batman films. No, it didn't. Yeah, this is the first canonical appearance of Arkham Asylum in this series. Yeah, and the head doctor there is named Burton, but he isn't played by Tim Burton, which is, I don't know, it's fine. Riddler is insane. Dr. Chase and Batman kind of have a thing. And then Batman and Robin run away from a spotlight. And that's the end of the movie. You know, I've seen a lot of superhero movies in my time. But with some of them, like this one, it's been like 10 years since I've seen them. And, you know, the interesting thing about this show is it reminds me of how bad a lot of superhero movies are. I forgot how incredibly mediocre this one is. Right. The Tim Burton ones. Look at my reviews of them. I have a lot of problems with them. But I forgot how much of a step down this was. And it's not because it's campy or because it's less dark. Some of the best Batman works out there are campy. This one is bad because it's dumb. The action, the romance, the character arcs. The relationships between basically all the characters, they all suck. Like, it's just all bad. It's not like an enjoyable kind of bad. It's just, like you said, mediocre. It gives us not necessarily a great Batman, but a performance of Batman that I think is a step up. And we haven't really talked about Robin, but I like Robin's arc in this movie. I like the idea. But at the same time, it's bogged down by just two incredibly weak villains and a weak love interest and just overall a lot of filler like there's a lot of stuff in this movie that happens that doesn't really amount to much like the riddles don't amount to anything the repressed memories don't amount to anything a lot of this movie feels pointless i mean honestly i've talked about this before and i have not yet seen batman and robin You've never seen Batman and Robin? Not in its entirety. I've seen clips. Oh my, that movie is... So, like, it's everything bad in this movie, but I would argue that Batman and Robin is better than this one because it takes everything bad in this one and just makes it more, just worse and worse and worse to the point where it becomes enjoyably right, exactly. Dumb. Like, that's what I gather from Batman and Robin. But this movie, like, personally, I'm a fan of good movies. I find enjoyment in bad movies. I mean, hey, look at our Howard the Duck review. I fucking loved watching that movie. It was shit, but I loved it. And I personally, I always prefer a huge swing and a miss versus something that's just 
kind of meandering and forgettable. I prefer something that's so bad it's good versus something that's just kind of okay. Forgettable. Yeah, the editing, the cinematography was all bad and ugly. The acting was okay at best. It's weird seeing Tommy Lee Jones in this light. Like, after seeing things like The Fugitive and No Country for Old Men, Men in Black, even, even Men in Black, which is a cartoon. It's like, I don't know, it's so strange seeing him in this light where he's just going for it, for the cartooniness of it. Yeah, I would say Tommy Lee Jones is probably the worst part yeah. of this movie. and he's the main villain. Which is a shame because he's normally a good actor. He just, it does not work. He's a great actor and arguably he's the main villain of this movie. Like, in terms of his involvement in the conflict, he's the main villain, though Riddler has more screen time. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with, to find things to say because it's just all so bland and forgettable. Well, here's something to say. What score are you going to give I'm it? I'm probably going to give it a 4 out of 10. It's not the worst, but it's also not very good. It's just forgettable. And honestly, for me, 4 is forgettable. Yeah, I don't know, a 7, I guess. It's a C-minus film. It is passing, but barely. And Casey and I kind of go off of different grading systems, like... You're more harsh than me, is what, we, what we've established. Yeah, yeah, I'm always more harsh. I look at, like... Like, I've given a lot more lower scores than Casey has. It's forgettable, I guess. Like, I'm really not going to remember it, other than just being, like... That was just bizarre, weird experience. But I'll forget about it. But you know what's bizarre but good? What's that? Next week's movie, we're reviewing The Matrix. Woohoo! Yeah. I actually like that movie. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Riley, if people want to know more about this show, where can they find it? You can all find the show on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube at Silver Age Silver Screen. We post a lot of content on there regularly. Now, actually, like, officially, I've been posting a lot on there. Um, you can all find me personally, Riley Thorpe, at Riley Thorpe on YouTube, where you can check out all of my short films. You can also find me on Riley James Thorpe, all one word, on TikTok and Instagram, where you can check out all my content there. Casey, what about you? Well, you know, you can find me on Twitter at JarmsCasey, J-A-R-M-E-S-C-A-S-E-Y. The thing that you should check out, because it's, I think, I mean, I can't, no one can evaluate their own work critically, but I think it's really good. I just released a three-part video essay series called The Politics of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Part 1, The Life and Times of Steve Rogers. Part 2, The Power of Propaganda. And Part 3, A Symbol Redefined. I think two of the three of them are out. Maybe all three, depending on how late I am with this episode, because I'm normally late with episodes, because I'm bad at my job <laughs> of editing. But yeah, check that out. It's an in-depth analysis of the Captain America films and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier TV show especially. Also check out CaseyJarms.wordpress.com. I upload a few new short stories. Go check it out. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week, assuming we don't get our brains drained by Jim Carrey, I guess. I don't know. His whole plan and stuff was kind of dumb. As always, I'm Casey Jarms. And I'm Riley Thorpe. And hey, it's just a movie. Don't lose your head about it. Especially not to a ladder. Ladder.